Amen. You may be seated. Yeah, absolutely. Apologies for, uh, it's our routine to just go straight from one place to the next. And I I was creative for a week and it got me. All right. We are in the Gospel of John, chapter one. And we've been spending the last few weeks looking at John's masterful prologue. And, and John is, especially in the beginning, all the way through, he's getting us, we're answering that question, who is Jesus? And so I'm going to read verses 14 through 18 as we finish off the prologue this morning. And so let's read together the word of our God. It says, And the word became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And this is the word of our God. He has spoken to us today in love. His word is true and trustworthy. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, no one has ever seen you. And so we thank you for this great gift of Jesus Christ who who makes you known, who makes you knowable. And so I pray this morning as we meditate on on your son that that our faith would be strengthened as we see the the grace, the truth, the glory of Jesus. So Holy Spirit, open open our eyes that we may see him and behold his glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in 2011, Africa Inland Mission uh, determined to investigate the state of churches in Sudan, uh, the Central African Republic, and the Congo. And right, so they sent some missionaries. They sent some missionaries with a, a, a video camera. And it, it's important to know that right these these are not easy places to live. Uh, that the climate is hot. Uh, There's lots of poverty. Uh, Violence is all too common. Uh, Congo has been described as one of the most dangerous places to live. More people have died there since World War II. On top of sickness and malaria and all these things. And Congo in particular, right, it's it's dangerous. It's not safe for anyone, especially women and children. And, and most of the missionaries left in the 60s because of the way the political violence worked itself out. And there was one quote from this video that AIM, African Inland Mission, put together that's stuck with me since I saw this. Um, the Congolese pastors asked the missionaries, why haven't the missionaries returned? And, the, you know, the missionaries said, well, this is, this is just hard. It's not safe. And in response, these pastors said, well, in the past, the missionaries loved us, and they accepted to suffer with us. Right. And you, can, you can hear the connection. 
that love is because of presence and a willingness to suffer with them. Right? And that this is just part of the, the bombshell that, that John has dropped on us this morning. That in Jesus Christ, the God-man, God has loved us and accepted to suffer with us, and we would add for us. Right? That in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word of God became flesh. He became human. He dwelt among us. Right? Or if we could use the message translation from Eugene Peterson, God moved into the neighborhood right? to suffer with us and for us. Right? This is the transcendent, far away, unknowable God becoming like us, human, yet without sin, drawing near so that we could know him. And so this morning we're going to meditate on this idea that to see Jesus is to see how God moves towards us in, the, in this doctrine of incarnation. Right? Incarnation, that's, it's the, the fancy theological term that God became human, God became flesh. Um, and so German theologian Herman, Herman Bavink, right, he's a really sharp guy, he says it's the wonder of all wonders when the divine enters into direct contact with human beings. He's reflecting on Christ. And if, if you, you talk to our, our neighbors that don't know Christ, right, that, that's what they want. We want contact with the divine. We want some kind of supernatural spiritual experience where we're reaching out, right, to touch the divine. And, and the gospel flips that upside down and says, look at how God came down to us. Now, John says something very specific when you see Jesus. Uh, he says, you, when we saw him, we beheld his glory. And so what I want to do is, what does that mean to see God's glory this morning in Jesus? And it's a Christianese term, and, and we're going to have to work through this, but John's going to talk about it over and over again, that Jesus did something, and we saw his glory. Uh, Jesus is going to do something, and he's going to be glorified. Uh, these are the things that we're supposed to pay attention to. And so let, let's, let's start here. Here's the, here's the first point, right? God moved into the neighborhood, and this is, this is the unique Christian claim. God became human. God took on human flesh. Uh, he, he had a body. Uh, he actually came down from heaven, took on our humanity to walk on earth to the, to the extent that you could say God had dust and dung on his sandaled feet just from walking around the way everyone else did. All right? And this is, a, this is a unique claim because, as John said, no one has ever seen God. And this is different from every other religious story, right? That it was unthinkable to the Jews. They were shocked. Um, the Muslims, they, they, can't, they cannot imagine God, the creator, debasing himself enough to become creation. It's the sin of shirk, of, of worshiping creation. Um, the, the ancient pagan myths, right? The, that you can think about all the ancient Greek and Roman gods and the way that they came down. But this is completely different, right? Zeus came down in a shower of gold to get a lady pregnant. Right? That's not becoming human like us and for us. Now, the, 
The, the story that John is telling us this morning is that our Creator, the Word who was God, who was with God, through whom all things were made, chose in humility to become like us. Right? He embraced the humiliation of becoming human. <laughs> and all of that entailed for him to suffer for us. Right? And so we use this metaphor in the, the introduction to the series that truth is on trial. And so if you want to know what reality is on trial, what is John persuading us of in the gospel? He wants you and I to see that Jesus is God come in the flesh. Um, that's what John the Baptist says. He he ranks above me because he came before me. Right? He's, he's pointing to Jesus having eternal, everlasting beginnings. Right? And so, do you believe that this morning? This is, it's, it's a simple claim. It's a Christian claim. It's, this is Christmas in May, but at the same time, it's easy to get lost. Right? To see that Jesus is the Lord of the Old Testament become human. There's, there's a couple reasons, right? I think part of the reason we miss out on the wonder of what John is saying is that apart from familiarity as Christians, is one, we, we miss out that this is, this is part of the grand story of the scriptures, right? Verse 14 was God's plan from the beginning, from, from before the beginning. Right? If you were to ask, what is the Bible about, Right? especially the Old Testament, we'd probably say something about, well, like John does, the law came through Moses. Right? It's about God loving Israel, giving them a law, telling them to obey. Right? Be good. Get God on your side. Keep the Ten Commandments. Be a good person, uh, which often, right, if you leave out the story of redemption, sounds an awful lot like, uh, guys, be better than you are. Right? Suck less. Right. I mean, I've, I've sat under those sermons. Or, or we treat the Old Testament like, like Aesop's fables. These are characters to imitate. Be good like Ma Moses, like David, or be good like Moses. You know, except for all the, the bad murdering, you know, best friend killing and, and wife stealing part. Right. No, from page one, we get hints and rumors that this was God's plan to become human. How? He made humanity in his image. Right? He comes down to walk in the garden with Adam. This is the ideal state, God with people. Uh, when you get to Exodus chapter 3 and you're, you think about Israel, um, Israel in bondage and slavery, and what does God say to Moses? He says, hey, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry because of the taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And then it says, I've come down to deliver them. Right. And then Psalm 96 picks up on this idea that uh, when the Lord comes, all of nature will rejoice. Right? The, the trees of the forest will sing for joy. The seas will roar for the Lord when he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. And he's going to judge in righteousness and the peoples in faithfulness. And you have places in the prophets that say, uh, I'm looking at all of the leaders in Israel, and they are, they are failing. So Ezekiel 34, will, you have God the good shepherd saying, I myself will search out the sheep 
and bring, bring back the stray, the lost, the hurt, the wounded. Right? So one way to describe the Old Testament, it's the history of God planning and preparing to become human like us, to, to physically, bodily land on the shores of this planet, of this dark world. Because, like Exodus, he's seen our suffering, he's seen our misery, he's seen the, our self-inflicting, <laughs> inflicted troubles. And he comes down, literally, in the flesh to deliver us. Right, that's, that's John's testimony. He's going to call him the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's, that's next time, what, in a couple weeks. Now, if you want, Bob Inc. says, right, that the, the Old Testament is the history of the coming Christ. This is the history of the coming of God, the Word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. I mean, he made God, you could look back and say, God made us in his image so that he might come down to be like us. Right? So, do you believe that simple yet mind-blowing truth that when Jesus walked on the earth, he was the, the God-man. He was 100% God and 100% man. It's bad math, but it's this, the, the portrait of, of who God is in the Gospel of John. Now, what does it mean? What are we saying? For, for Jesus to move into the neighborhood, uh, that the Word became flesh. I mean, part of what we're saying is when Jesus was on earth, he never ceased from being God, right? While he was being born, while he was passing through the birth canal, he was still the eternal son of God who, was, who has taken on humanity, right? And as you read John, you, you get an idea of what it means for Jesus to be human. Jesus has a body. He eats, he drinks, he gets, he gets thirsty. He has emotion, uh, Chapter 2, he's going to be angry. In chapter 11, he's going to be raging against death and the damage it causes. Jesus is able to argue. He's really sharp, right? He has, he has reason. He has, ra he has rational skills. He knows the pain of disappointing people, saying no to his family. He knows what it's like to be lied about, to be betrayed. Of course, the ultimate claim is that God in Christ suffers, dies, and is buried in the ground so that the one who formed us from the dust was laid in the dust. Right. So do, you, do you believe he was 100% human? You know, I, th I think when, from outside looking in, it's a, it's a big ask to say, oh, okay, Jesus is God. And then when you're around the church for a really long time, it becomes harder to understand that Jesus is humanity that he really was like me, yet without sin, all right? That he became flesh and all that that means, body and soul, all right? So think about it. When Jesus quotes scripture, where did, he get, where did he get that knowledge from? He had to learn it, right? God didn't grab a scripture USB stick and with the Holy Spirit just download it into his brain. Like he, he didn't cheat. Right? No, when Jesus quotes scripture in his humanity, he had to go to church, synagogue, 
right? He had to listen to the scriptures. He had to have it written on the tablets of his heart so he could learn it, memorize it, meditate on it, and have the Spirit teach him the truth about who, who he is. Right? No, it's, it's an established fact in scripture that God became human as we are. So here's, I'm going to do a little bit of history here, right? John of Damascus, here's how he described Jesus. It says, the whole Christ assumed the whole me so that he might grant, grant salvation for the whole me because what is unassumable is incurable. In other words, Jesus had, in order to redeem us, body and soul, had to become in every way like us, yet without sin. Because there, if there was any part of our humanity he didn't become, if he cheated at any moment using his divinity to not be like us, that part of us would not be redeemed, rescued, forgiven. Right? It'd be like an infection. If you only treat part of the infection, the infection's still there. Right? So here's one way to think about it. Imagine if Jesus used his divinity to control his imagination. Right? His mind, his thoughts. Would he really know what it was like to be human? Would it be a struggle? Would, would there be suffering in his active obedience? Not really. Nope. What John is saying about Christ, here is the one who was before you, your, your creator, who knew 100% of what the hardship of being human is and in love became human anyway. <laughs> right? Jesus became like us to redeem every part of us. We're, we're going to see that worked out in John. You know, Tolkien would say, this is, there's no story ever told that people would rather find is true than this story about Jesus. And there's no story like this which so many skeptical people have actually come to accept it as true in its own merits, but if you reject it, it's going to leave you with either sadness or wrath. Right. See, if you reject this idea that creation matters, that this world matters, that, that as we sang this morning, there's a future beyond our comprehension that will restore all of our broken years, right? if you reject that, you're left with sadness or anger. You remember the the paralyzed man in John chapter 5? Right? It doesn't say whether he was born that way, uh, whether this is uh, a birth defect that he was unable to walk, or if he fell and had an accident, or if there was an infection. Or we, we don't really know. But how could you not be angry if, you, if your lot in life was your body not to work without any hope of a life of a fully functioning body? Without, without the incarnation of Jesus, sadness, anger, regret, despair, whether you want them to or not will become main characters in your story because there's no happy ending, because there's no beginning of a plan for a God to come for you. Now, for us as believers, if you're going to take John's testimony seriously, the Word became flesh to heal what's wrong with us. And throughout the process, from beginning to end, to be with us, to dwell among us, as John says, 
See, when, when John says the word, the son, he, he dwelt among us, a more literal translation would be Jesus, the word, pitched his tent among us. Uh, he tabernacled among us. It's echoes of the Old Testament. And the, the tabernacle was the visible place where God dwelled with his people. All right. it, was a, it was the visible way where Israel could say God is with us and he knows what it's like to be us. He, he's choosing to see and participate in our life together. All right? When you get to 2 Samuel 7, for example, David says, all right, God, I'm going to do something amazing. I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to build you a temple. You remember that? And God says, yeah, I didn't ask for that because I've been dwelling in tents, moving with my people wherever they go from Egypt to this day, and I never asked for you to build my house. In other words, God was completely content to live with and the way his people were living, to wander with them, which is dim hints of, of the actual incarnation. Now, the, the tabernacle was the visible presence of God who chose to live with and like his people, and, and Jesus is God choosing to live with and like his people so that we might see his glory the visible picture of God's presence. So this is a big claim. Do you see who Jesus is? He is God become flesh. He's human, and he is God's glory coming down to be with us. And that's point two here. All right? Point two is to see the glory. God doesn't do this to show off. The purpose is to reveal or behold, that we may be, behold his glory. Do you, see, do you see how that's a problem for us as human beings? Because for us to see the glory of Jesus, the glory of the God of the Old Testament, who's tabernacled among us, is to become very aware that it is terrifying for this God to draw near. Because in the, in the story of the Old Testament, when, when the glory of God came down, Moses wasn't allowed in. When the glory of God came down on Mount Sinai, everybody else said, yeah, we're not getting close to that. God, don't talk to us. We want Moses to talk to us. All right? And in Exodus 33, Moses will say to God, show me your glory. And God says, okay, I'm going to show you my goodness. I'm going to make all of my goodness pass before you. And goodness is this Hebrew word tov, which, which means more, moral goodness, but it also has to do with beauty. You know, God's goodness is something attractive and beautiful, and yet God says to Moses, if you see my glory and all of my goodness face to face, if you get a blast of my presence, you're going to die. No one can see my face and live. And so Moses gets a glimpse of the backside of God's goodness, while the rest of Israel is at the bottom of the mountain, terrified to draw near. You can start to hear the weight of John's words when he says, Jesus is God tabernacling or dwelling among us. Because if, if you come near someone who's better than you and you know they're better than you, it's not always a comforting experience. Right? I mean, in Israel's case, they were terrified because of who God is and who they were. And, 
And they, they had just come through the golden calf episode where they decided to make God into their own image to become a person they could touch on their terms. You know, they were, they were trying to make God a creature. That was God's plan. He was taking their, they were taking his job. Right? No, if, if Jesus is the God of glory come in the flesh, we have, a per, we have a problem because now we have this person, Jesus, our creator, that you can't manipulate. You can't make him on your own terms. You can't, just the way the planets can't demand the sun orbit around them, right? We're not able to form and fashion Jesus into our own image. Someone who loves what we love and hate what we hate. I mean, this is a temptation with any kind of spirituality. John is trying to show us the God of the Old Testament became a person. And don't change who he is. All right. All right, we're, be honest, wouldn't you be terrified to meet this God? To see his glory? Right? The true God, when he draws near to sinners like Adam, we dive behind the bushes because we're naked and ashamed and terrified of being seen and known. That the, the smallest glimpse of our failure in the presence of perfect goodness is something we cannot bear. Right? Think about what you love the most, right? If you're a basketball player, right? I'm assuming everyone in this room is, there's no NBA all-stars, right? So if you come into the presence of when you want to be really good at something and you come into the presence of a better basketball player, you just feel crushed. <laughs> Imagine if it's goodness, right? I mean, I've had that experience. Oh, you're a pastor. They just walk away. They don't even finish the conversation because sometimes the pastor's presence brings accusation, even though I'm just saying hi and I genuinely want to get to know them <laughs> because of who I represent, and that's okay. Now, what, what John is saying to us this morning is what, that what we get in Jesus is a fuller experience of what Moses had, and we're going to want him to draw near. His grace is better fuller, more clear, right? That we have seen the glory of the word, the glory of Exodus 33, the glory of the beloved, the only son from the father, full of grace and truth, that in Christ, in the incarnation, we get a fuller vision of God's goodness to us in Jesus. It's mediated. It's making, making God safe for us so that he, because he wants to be with us, right? And keep going here. What is Jesus like? Well, he says grace and truth. Right? He's, the glory is full of grace and truth. Do you know what, what grace and truth are? This is John's way of summarizing who God, how God reveals himself in Exodus. A God who abounds in steadfast love and faithfulness. So grace is an introduction to steadfast love. This is this idea that God is kind to moral failures, treats them better than they deserve, and it's a gift, it's grace. And then truth, God abounds in faithfulness. This is his covenant commitment, this idea that God is faithful when we are faithless. So that in Jesus, we are getting the full glory of who God is, of Exodus 33, 
Uh, that we, we are given God's never giving up, always pursuing perfect covenant love and faithfulness, the full glory that Moses couldn't handle. And he's coming to be with us. That if you know Jesus, you have grace and you have truth. You have God's undeserved pleasure. In grace upon grace, he will help you every step, upon, step of the way and you have truth. He's, he's going to be honest with you. He's going to say there's things that need to be changed, but, but you haven't given a person, right? Grace and truth are, is a person who's going to be true to you, whose covenant loyalty will never leave you nor forsake you. you know, grace and truth. In Jesus, you have a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So, starting to get this idea, right, from from Jesus, we're, we're getting a, a fuller glimpse of the glory of God. And John is saying, we saw it. We were there. When he did miracles, they were getting a glimpse of the glory of who this person is. All right, look at verse 16. It says, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. And there's a little footnote that says there's two different ways to translate this. Uh, on the one way, it could, could be there's grace upon grace, meaning there's grace for every situation that you will face if you have Jesus. You will have God's help in Christ. But I think in the context, it makes more sense to translate this as grace in the place of grace. Right? Because it says the law came through Moses, and then in place of that grace, we have grace and truth through Jesus Christ. Right? I know it's tempting to look at the Old Testament and say there's no grace, but we've, we've talked about this. This has been God's plan from the beginning. It's the same God in the Old and New. And if Jesus is the God of the Old Testament become a person, the Old Testament is a story of grace as well. God pursuing sinners. Now, I think what John is saying here, we're getting a fuller expression, a more powerful expression of grace. Right. In the Old Testament, the problem with God's grace is it didn't change the human heart. We could put it that way. The Old Covenant, being told what to do, did not restrain anyone's selfishness. And so a new covenant was given. And in Jesus, we have grace in place of grace, as we're going to see and taste this morning. This grace is now a person. Right. And so when you get to verse 18, this is the summary no one has ever seen God, but the only God, the Son, who is at the Father's side. Right, this is introducing the, the ideas of the Trinity. He has made the Father known. And so here's what, why Jesus came, to show us God's glory, so we can experience his grace and his truth. And then we see, well, the, the verb for known is the same word we get the word for exegesis. And exegesis is the technical term for making something clear. And so when we do exegetical preaching, we're just explaining and making clear what the Bible says. Hopefully, that's the goal, right? And so what John is saying is Jesus exegetes God for us. He makes him known. He, he makes him clear. He is God's glory, goodness, grace, and truth who became visible, that you can actually see him. If you've seen me, says Jesus, you've seen the Father. 
right? And so John says, Jesus, who was in the, the side of the Father, who's in the bosom of the Father, here's, here's an example, uh, a description of how loved Jesus is. He left the intimacy of his Father to become human, so to speak, to make clear to us what God is like. Now, where do you see the glory of Jesus, the glory of God most clearly in Christ? Right? When John says, we have seen his glory, glory is of the only Son, full of grace and truth. Where do you see that most clearly? It's at the cross. Jesus will say in John 12, when the Son of Man is glorified, when he's lifted up, when he's dying for sinners, he says, he describes it this way, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. That's the glory of Jesus for you, for me. That, that when Jesus is glorified, when he's lifted up by his Father, that is where Jesus is most clearly exegeting the Father. He's, he's making clear what, Jesus, what God is like most clearly. It's where we see the fullest expression of his grace and his truth when he lays down his life for his friends, for the church. In love, where you see that here is, here is God saying, I have loved you enough and accepted to suffer with you and for you. Right. To use John's language, because Jesus is glorified on the cross, we now are given the right to become children of God, to become God's dwelling place. He tabernacles with us. We have God's presence. Right? So, so do you believe that this morning? <laughs> that God is with you because Jesus was glorified. And when you see him, you've seen the Father. That's what we're going to taste when we come to the table here in a moment. Because if you believe that, that reality that God is most glorified in Christ when he was dying for us, going through the very worst experience that anybody could, could ever imagine, and it's the worst because he literally went through hell, bearing the punishment we deserve. Right? If, you, if you believe that Jesus became fully human at, like us and suffered in every way we have, including death on a cross, you can say things like, like Julian of Norwich where she says, uh, whatever we may suffer, God has already suffered. The worst has already happened. And it has been repaired in Christ. So we say, all shall be well, all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. We can sing eternal weight of glory, uh, that, that all of the broken years, all the nights we've cried out how long, because Jesus redeemed every part of our humanity, we, can, we have hope of every part of our humanity being restored and reconciled. All will be well. One last point before we t come to the table. One of the things I want to do as we go through the Gospel of John is show us how this forms us into witnesses of Christ. Right? We're called to see the glory, the greatness, the beauty of who Jesus is. And then we're called to be his witnesses in the world. Right? And so if God the Father 
if, well, I'll put it this way. If Jesus says to us, I have sent you the way my Father has sent me. As I have been sent, so I am sending you. It's John 17. And he says it again to his disciples after the resurrection. And if the Father sent Jesus to move into the neighborhood, to show off God, to reveal, to make clear who God is, what is that telling us as a church? How do we be God's witnesses? We have to go into the neighborhood so that our neighbors can see the power of the gospel, the grace and truth of Jesus, the glory of Jesus shining in us. Right? You know, it's, it's tempting to say we're here. We are a witness. You know, it's what we do every Sunday morning, and that's absolutely true. And then we scatter and we go into our jobs and, and we go out throughout the week and And one of the ways we're going to show people the beauty of the gospel is when we move towards them to be present with them, especially in suffering, to move into the neighborhood, to show them the the weight and the glory of God, that he cares about their suffering and their sin and their selfishness, all of who they are, because Jesus became all of what we are like yet without sin. Something to think about. I'll end with a a quote from Dorothy Sayers. We've we've seen that God became human like us to show us the glory, the greatness of God. And she says, from the beginning of time until now, the incarnation of Jesus is the only thing that has ever really happened. And you may call this doctrine exhilarating or call it devastating. We may call it revelation or we may call it rubbish. But if you call it dull, then what in heaven's name is worthy to be called exciting? (laughs) So may you see Jesus this morning and be in wonder that this God wants to be with us. May you get to know our God. Let's pray. Father, we pray that your spirit has shown us the greatness of of who, who you are. And so I pray for those who are wondering if God exists, who wonder if God cares, that uh, you would show us the glory of Jesus, especially in this study, uh, that in the incarnation, in Jesus becoming like us, we know we are not alone. Uh, Because Jesus died and rose again, our sin is forgiven. Everything is forgiven, past, present, and future. And he swears to give us grace upon grace, a fullness of grace that even as we stumble and fumble by faith through this life, you still stay with us. So may we see the way your steadfast love and faithfulness is ours uh, in Christ because of the blood he shed on our behalf. So be with us now as we come to the table in Jesus' name. Amen.